Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This week on Truth and Movies, Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn gets a squad of her own in Birds of Prey. Then, it's the winner of the big prize at last year's Cannes Film Festival, Bong Joon-ho's twisty tragic comedy Parasite. And in Film Club, we're going long on Bong as we look back at his first-class dystopian epic, Snowpiercer. A thousand people in an iron box. 18 years I've hated the train. 18 years I've waited for this moment. All coming up in Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. Hello there, movie truthers. It's Michael Leader here, sitting in the host chair, sitting across this week from Anna Bogatskaya. Hello. A newcomer to Truth and Movies. Hello, Anna. I know. So, Anna, for people who may not have met you before, who are you? What do you do? Um, I am a film programmer. I run the Underwire Film Festival. I'm also the co-founder of The Final Girls, which is a programming collective looking at horror. Uh, and I am also a podcaster. I host The Final Girls podcast, uh, guest a lot on other podcasts like Evolution of Horror, and co-host The Bigger Picture, the BFI's podcast. Oh, terrific. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Oh, thank you. I'm excited. And also, Hannah Woodhead. Hi. Fresh from Sundance. Yeah, still getting over the jet lag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it cold up there? Um, yeah, cold but sunny. We actually had a, a, a Burger King lunch out on the terrace one day, which I thought was... With Robert Redford. With Robert Redford, yeah. He's always there. You just, you know, trip over him in Park City. But I, I did think, you know, you wouldn't be able to do this in London at this time of year. So that mm-hmm. was nice. But yeah, it, cold, snowy, mm-hmm. lovely, mountains everywhere. Of course, we can check out your coverage at LWLies.com, but any big hitters you'd recommend for us now? It was actually, I thought, a very good year compared to last year, which I thought was a bit lacklustre. But uh, definitely Minari, which was the big grand prize winner, uh, Lee Isaac Chung's new film, which is about a, a grandmother and grandson bonding. A beautiful film. I started crying 10 minutes in and didn't stop. Um, I was sat across the aisle from Justin Chang and I was very embarrassed about how much I was crying in front of someone who I very much admire. Uh, and Shirley, Josephine Decker's new film, another prize winner, but mm-hmm. very much deserved. I think 
probably her best film to date. Really, really great about the horror author Mm -hmm. Shirley Jackson, loosely based on her life, I shall say. But yeah, I mean, a vintage crop, I would say, for Sundance. Oh, terrific. Well, looking forward to hearing more about those films in due course. But now we have this week's new releases to tackle. Up first, we have the new DC Comics film, Birds of Prey. Both Margot Robbie and Harley Quinn have broken out of the confines of the, let's say, divisive Suicide Squad franchise for this DC Comics spin-off spectacular. Newly single, Harley finds herself a target for all sorts of Gotham lowlives, so she decides to form her own all-female crew. None of us are walking out of here unless we work together. you? clip there from the trailer for Birds of Prey. So Anna, we mentioned up top there that this is a spin-off from Suicide Squad, which for many people is the worst superhero movie to date. Um, I mean, not not the worst superhero movie to date as in ever. Okay, Definitely the worst one out of yeah. the kind of renaissance of superhero mm-hmm. movies. I thought that Batman vs Superman was worse. It was I think Suicide was Squad super. was like short. <laughs> Well, <laughs> listeners, if you let's let's Which have is a, worse. <laughs> let's have a listener shout out for uh, the worst comic book movie of the last ten years. Some may say Suicide Squad, some may say Batman Superman, of course, some may say Justice League, but then we should see the Snyder Cut before we really say. But anyway, Anna, all that aside, Birds of Prey, were you excited? I was excited because um, Harley Quinn, despite the way that she was treated in Suicide Squad as basically an ass and a pair of legs was one of the breakout characters. It's the only character I really cared about when I saw that trash pile of a movie. Um, <laughs> but no, I was excited about it. I was excited especially because of the fact that Margot Robbie has quite firmly been establishing herself as a creative force in her right, not only an actress. So she's been producing films. You know, she produced Itonia and a couple of other kind of smaller releases. And this was very much kind of her project. She saw the value of that character and the fact that she needed to break away from those conventions and that very testosterone and too heavy kind of film but also with too many characters that had too much to do with very little plot mm-hmm. in many ways so this is um i was excited i was kind of very open-minded i'd seen the trailer i didn't have a very strong reaction to it which meant that it was kind of i was pumped to see it mm-hmm. but I would have also, you know, been happy to wait for it and um, kind of see where she was going to go with it. And so what's sufficiently different about this to maybe separate it out from the rest of the comic book movie flock? They're focusing so much on the fact that it's an all-female team. You know, we have Kathy Yan getting the sort of opportunity that's usually afforded only to mm-hmm. male filmmakers. You make a small indie hit and then you get given $100 million to make a superhero movie. Is that all on the screen? I think the behind the scenes story, the fact that Kathy Ann was plugged after her kind of festival success with Dead Pigs, made one successful indie film and kind of got plucked in to do a major blockbuster comic book movie, usually only really happens to male mm-hmm. indie breakout directors. And it's happened so many times, it's almost boring to recount them. And that was, I think, very much part of Margaret Robbie's intention as well, to crew up with female creatives. And I admire her for that. But then I don't think this movie really stands alone from the rest of the comic book canon. Mm -hmm. And I say definitely it stands kind of very much in the DCU as well. 
it's very much kind of that following in aesthetically a little bit from the visuals established in Suicide Squad. It departs a little bit where you can really tell that there's an all-female crew behind it is in the way that the female characters are framed and in certain details as well. There's a couple of scenes in the film, regardless of the whole end product, there's a couple of scenes where I was like, yes, well done. I can see what you did there and I can see the point of view and it's uh, very refreshing. Mm-hmm. Hannah, we've spoken on this podcast about many superhero movies over the years, uh, and then it seemed that last year was almost the high watermark, that or the the breaking point even with Endgame. Are we still interested in this, these sorts of films? Is this sufficiently fresh and different? Yeah, I think that I personally approach this with quite a healthy dose of scepticism. Uh, Suicide Squad, as, as Anna has already said, was an unmitigated disaster on every front. But I, I said this this morning to David Jenkins. Um, the only person in that film who looked like they were enjoying themselves was Margot Robbie. Everyone else just looked uh-huh. like contractually obliged to be there. And um, I think if any of the characters deserved a spin-off, it was definitely her. And I was surprised at how much of a good time I had with Birds of Prey. Mm-hmm. I think it's a real testament to, you know, kind of why aren't women given the same opportunities as men? Because this is what they can do with them. This is what you can do if you trust a kind of female team of creatives and a female team of actors to just get on with it and uh, and and make something great. I do I do think that maybe we are at kind of fatigue point, but this does feel like enough of a breath of fresh air um with enough kind of like hutspur to get people out of their malaise when it comes to all things kind of superhero. And I think the refreshing thing for me about this film is that only one of the characters has like a superpower. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the rest of them are just kind of cool ladies kicking ass it's you know they're they're relying on their wits and their guile and their uh martial arts training rather than you know sort of costumes or like being able to shoot laser beams or anything which is really refreshing for me can you give me a roll call on these new new ladies Ah, I, sh- I, can- I mean, I certainly can try who's, who's best in class of course <laughs> you said that margot robbie is harley quinn maybe having the most fun of the lot but yeah, so well, she's so she's the kind of um, central character, obviously, and then she's joined by uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who plays um, the Huntress. I won't kind of spoil her backstory for people who don't know, but she's a, uh, a crossbow, crossbow. It's crucial to it is a crossbow. It's not bow and arrow. Uh, crossbow wielding assassin who um, we don't know much about until kind of the second half of the film. Very much enjoyed her characterization. I, I I don't know how deep to get into spoiler territory, but I had I had a lot of fun with the idea of this woman being raised as an assassin, having no concept of like social skills because she's never been raised <laughs> in in a proper household. Um, and then uh, Journey Smollett Bell, who mm. plays Dina Lance, the Black Canary, who's the kind of she's the one with the superpower. Um, and then Ella J Basco, who plays Cassandra Kane, who is it is like a superhero in the comic books but um they've kind of switched things up for this and she plays she's this small girl who um is a pickpocket with kind of a really horrible home life who gets mixed up in the chaos and then rosie perez as renee montoya the kind of uh old school detective who i, I thought she was amazing right. I, having just come from sundance and seeing the last thing he wanted which she has a small role in and that is a diabolical film really really truly awful it was nice to see Rosie Perez getting a good role again. Well, that's the character I'm most interested to see because Renee Montoya is quite a figure in the comics and mm-hmm. later on has a whole storyline of her own. So, yeah, good to know that Rosie Perez has got a good meaty role there. And and also, like, I mean, 
after the kind of disaster of the um, quote-unquote queer representation in the in the Marvel movies last year, it was really nice to just see them kind of be like, oh yeah, that's her ex-girlfriend. And like, it not be a thing. It not be like, hey, hey ladies, guess what? Here's some representation for you. It was just like, this is just a thing. Like, this is just part of the world that we're in. And it never felt kind of contrived or forced. I was very, very... It's that easy, folks. It's really that easy. You don't have to kind of labour yourself to include people. And I mean, three out of five of the kind of main characters in this are women of colour as well, Mm -hmm. which is like so refreshing to see after the kind of I, I came to this after watching Emma which will be on next week's podcast and it was so white so just unbearable unbearable whiteness so it was nice for me just to see some kind of like you know diversity mm-hmm. in the casting and um, again like the comics I think are very white mm-hmm. and uh, it was yeah I really felt like it and it didn't feel at all like I think I mean I, d- I don't believe in the kind of whole discourse around like diversity casting they're just doing it to kind of get points I, I think that's bullshit anyway but this really did feel like it was just yeah these were the best people for the job it wasn't like you know a kind of mm, we need to like appeal to the mass market demographics sort of thing. it just it just felt like well you know it's, it's 2020 like come on like, mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we, we live in a world where these people should be on the screen this film at least from the trailers seems to be playing in a similar world to Suicide Squad or Kick-Ass or maybe even something like Deadpool, like quite violent, cartoony, but knowing in, in, a, in a way. Um, Anna, is this playing to that same audience or a different audience? Or well, is those films are very kind of male-heavy, mm-hmm. right? But I, I would actually compare it more to... Well, Deadpool is a good comparison, but I also pit it against something like the early noughties Charlie's Angels, uh-huh. where it's this very over-the-top violence, which seems unrealistic, but that kind of makes it a bit more comic booky. But at the same time, there's elements there where it's quite gritty. People do get bloodied up. You see bones, legs, hands, arms, fingers break. You see faces peeled off. So then it's <laughs> wow. more kind of uh, much more gorier than most superhero movies allow themselves to be where, you know, thing people are kind of punched and sort of murdered, quote unquote, but you don't actually see any blood and there seems to be no consequence to the violence, whether it's here you see the our characters be heard and bear the scars and the remnants of that violence mm. in many ways. And you know, if they're hit in the nose, then their nose is bloody. Um that kind of reminded me both it's sort of like a weird mix of Charlie's Angels Anatomic Blonde. Right. Okay. Because it is playing into that that, that small subgenre we're getting at the moment, where mm. we had Red Sparrow yeah. and Atomic Blonde, and we, we, you know we, we have Black Widow coming up as well, where it's this you know, these female-driven action films. Mm. So, does it play in that world? Then? I think it does. One thing that really struck me, which I really loved, is that all of the characters, you know, Harley, the Huntress, um, Black Canary, Rena Montoya, are all very strong, mm-hmm. like physically strong. You know, you can one hundred believe that if Harley Quinn, Margot Robbie, kicks you in the face with both legs you're you're dead and I love that because there is um, you know there's an element there where you know with something like Charlie's Angels even you're a bit like these women are way too prim and skinny to actually kick anybody's ass whether it's with Birds of Prey I was like oh yeah I can see the muscles mm. I can see that they are fundamentally really really strong and I believe that violence that they can enact and not all of it is kind of about protection as well a lot of it some of it is in self-defense but then there's an element of them also enjoying the action or living for that element of kind of kicking ass and for 
making their way with those means, which mm-hmm. we've seen a lot with male superheroes, but not as much with female superheroes, where we kind of assume that women will only use violence in these types of action movies in order to protect themselves and not to get someplace. Oh. And I think this film kind of very positively subverts that in a way where Harley wants what she wants. Huntress is also kind of serving a particular purpose. And Black Canary kind of really finds herself and really reveals herself to be quite a kick-ass character as well, because we first meet her as this sort of singer in Roman's club. So she's presented as someone to be looked at and kind of she's presented as sort of being ignored the way she plays music. Nobody's really looking at her. Nobody's really listening. She's just there as a decorative object in a way. And then she's, you know, re-emerges as this really self-possessed, really kind of ethically kind of minded more and more as we go deeper into the film and really fundamentally one of the most kick-ass characters out of that whole bunch. Wow. Okay, yeah. then. Well, let's wrap this one up. So we have three scores that we put onto films on on this podcast. We have In Anticipation, Enjoyment, In Retrospect. Anna, what scores would you give Birds of Prey? Uh, anticipation, three. Enjoyment, four. And In Retrospect, The Morning After. Probably four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I enjoyed more in retrospect than I did actually watching it, which is kind of strange. <laughs> okay. Hannah? Um, maybe a two in anticipation. I am a kind of like, I don't trust DC. I really did not mm. like Aquaman. Um, but then a four and a four. I think mm. it is a lot of fun and I'm excited to see it again. I will give a five to my boy Chris Messina in this. We haven't even, I mean, that's the thing. I was like, just about to say. There's so many things we haven't talked about about this film that I would love to get into. Um, I mean, Ewan McGregor is great as the villain. I think it's it's the Do first think... good villain we've had in a while. Yeah, I yeah. so ardently disagree. I think really? it's the worst thing about the film. <laughs> see, see. Oh my God, wow. can we talk a little bit about it? <laughs> Very quickly. Wait, case for and case against. Case against is... He cannot do an American accent to save his life in this film. I don't know what the hell he's doing. He's sort of cosplaying Sam Rockwell in Charlie's Angels. So they should have just hired Sam because he enjoys these types of campy uh, villainous roles so much more and dances way better. I'm so sorry, but he does. I, I respect those arguments. I do I do think now you've mentioned Sam Rockwell, I wish it was Sam Rockwell. I, I just had a lot of fun with him. I think he's having a lot of fun. He has great costumes. There's a great yeah, scene we'll where he that. has like a huge tantrum which I thought was very <laughs> funny um, I think he's just kind of they play he plays him as this like spoiled little boy who has too much power and is very greedy and kind of I, I, I really enjoyed seeing him get bested by this team of women who are all better than him in every single conceivable way and for those keeping track he is on the Hannah's Boys he list is, it, yeah high yeah. low mid table high ranking I would say especially with the blonde okay. it's a shame he's gone back to his natural hair colour now because that was really doing things for me so that's, I t- need that's to, a tip for you Chris I need listening. to find out the Hannah's Boys list we were talking about this earlier and I'm really curious <laughs> Anyway, that was Birds of Prey in cinemas this week. Up next, we have a film that seems to have been coming out for absolutely ages. It's Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. Winner of the Palm Door at Cannes last year, Bong Joon-ho directs this black comedy about wealth, greed and class discrimination. The Kim family are all unemployed and living in a squalid basement, but when their son gets a tutoring job at the lavish home of the Park family, the family's luck starts to change. A little clip of Parasite there for any of you Korean listeners out there. Hannah, we saw this at Cannes last year. Yeah. The hype was quite massive. 
Yeah, it was definitely one of the most anticipated films of the fest. And I think the premiere was at like 10 p.m. or something. It was quite late. Mm-hmm. So it was worth staying up for, definitely. I mean, I remember we were in the kind of the pen <laughs> waiting to go in and the, our friends were in the kind of other, the yellow line. Mm-hmm. And the kind of reunion afterwards was, was absolutely joyous. Mm-hmm. Everyone was riding high on, on the hit of the bong, <laughs> shall we say. I wasn't going to use that, but you I've done there. it now. Do you have much of a relationship with bong before this? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've actually... I'm. I'm a bit of a phony because I've not seen that many of his films, but I was a huge Snowpiercer fan Mm -hmm. when it came out. I remember seeing that film in Berlin. I was living there at the time when it came out and I was just like, what is this? I've never seen anything like this before. Uh, I was so enamoured. And then when Okja came out, I was a big, big fan of that as well. So I was definitely like fully on board for Parasite. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, it delivered. I think it was, you know... it really, after doing these two English language films, which I think are, are, are great movies, it was really nice to see him kind of go home and deliver something that is so grounded in kind of like South Korean like cinema and South, South Korean culture as well. Mm-hmm. But really, it is like, I mean, I, <laughs> I hate to be cliche, but it is like such a universal story of like greed and corruption and family dynamics. Mm-hmm. It's. We've already said. I, I think we've already said too much about this film. <laughs> I, I I found this film such an amazing trip and a delight to just go along with it, knowing as little as possible. Oh yeah, same. Sure. Uh, particularly on the rewatch, even knowing what's happening, it's still just as good. But when we saw it at Cannes, I think we'd seen the sales poster, yeah. which is they've adapted into the UK poster, where it's the family on the lawn mm-hmm. and this, the strange baubles and. Uh, lines across their faces and so on and just knew that the title was Parasite and maybe you know Bong Joon-ho's career he's done some horror films some thrillers some dystopian action adventures and so on Anna what was your expectations going into this? I mean I tried I was a camera I didn't manage to get into any of the screenings because the hype was so strong but I also made the very conscious effort of avoiding all reviews Mm -hmm. avoiding talking to people outside of once people started yapping on about Parasite I would just literally like a child cover my ears because I knew that it was important it felt important to go in knowing as little as possible to fully enjoy it Um, and I managed to do just that and I saw it at some other screening later on in London and completely floored and I'm so glad that I went into it kind of not knowing too much about what it was about I knew it was sort of about class, mm-hmm. but that's that's the only thing that had sort of uh, I'd heard about. And I was a fan of his previous work. Similarly to Hannah, I kind of started to really see his work in a different light after Snowpiercer. I'd seen Memories of Murder, um, and then Snowpiercer came out and it sort of blew up. And there was that whole controversy of it being re-rated, re-cut for the mm-hmm. American market and then re-released uncut. And... I really enjoyed Okja as well. So I was excited, but I wasn't a fanatic at that point. Mm-hmm. So how can we talk about this film? It's what we can say, and I, I'll see, see if you agree with me. I think this is an immaculately made film on every level. Mm-hmm. Uh, p- you know, listeners may have seen just the hype around this film on the awards circuit, how this is mm-hmm. the f- one of the, you know, the first Korean film to, to, to not only win the Palme d'Or, but to get into the Oscar conversation, to break out of the foreign language Oscar ghetto. But that's just because this is immaculately made as a, as a screenplay, production design. The cast, 
the, 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 I'd say the only reason why the cast aren't making inroads into categories individually is because they're such an amazing ensemble, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Hannah, you said one of your boys was on this list. Is that Song Kang-ho? It is, for sure, yeah. I mean, uh, wonderful in Snowpiercer as well. Mm-hmm. He is kind of one of Korea's, well, one of South Korea's um, most famous actors, mm-hmm. I would say, mm-hmm. most famous exports. And he's in, I think, all but one or two of Bong's films. Yeah, they go back years, yeah. years. Hearing them talk about each other is very, very sweet. I'd highly recommend people go and listen to some interviews if possible. Um, and he's, he, he plays the kind of the father of the um, parasitical family, mm-hmm. I guess, <laughs> how I would describe them. Um, and he's he's wonderful. I mean, that, that but that's the thing. They're all they're all wonderful in this. There's no kind of um, there's no no small parts, as they say. It's uh, everyone is really like pulling their weight mm-hmm. and really like has their own kind of like little bit in this big machine that is you know beautifully engineered and meticulously crafted. I mean, it is just such a joy to watch the the you you mentioned the production design that i mean the look of the park house where most of kind of the action takes place is just i just want to i don't want to live there because horrible things happen there but um (laughs) i want to walk around there Mm -hmm. it's incredible to think that wasn't a location that was kind of designed and built from scratch because it is just a dream in in terms of like the interior and the exterior the garden a lot of kind of key moments take place in the garden and there's another. I, I, it's so hard to talk about this without spoiling any of it. There's, but there's another another part of the house which plays a huge role. Just oh, I really liked a way of describing this film without revealing too much. Mm-hmm. Is it's a staircase movie? Okay. Could you so elaborate? there's there's like a a mini subgenre of films about uh, kind of huge houses or um, yeah, usually houses where the staircase takes a very important place. And it's kind of a more generic way of describing films that are about divides, Mm -hmm. be that divides within families or bigger, larger social divides like class, for instance. And, you know, the staircase is, can also be an element of threat. You know, like think about, um, what's his face, Cary Grant in Suspicion, you know, Mm -hmm. coming down, is it Suspicion? With the milk. Yeah, coming down with the milk, milk, potentially poison milk. And it's also kind of a very, very straightforward metaphor for, can we in general can anyone in general kind of climb up the social ladder Mm -hmm. and the social ladder and the staircase is such a an obvious motif in this film as well and a lot of what we can talk about the film we're revealing too much is that it's a a working class poor family who come into contact with a very very well off very wealthy very upper class family and how they interact with each other and how the poor family tries very hopefully to climb up that ladder. On that class point, in particular, the, the details of microaggressions between the moneyed and the people without money, that really um, built a comparison for me with Lee Chang-dong's Burning, which came out last year, which we rated very highly on this podcast. Stylistically, those films couldn't be more different, though. Mm-hmm. And I think what Bong Joon-ho managed to do in Parasite is so emblematic of what I love about Korean cinema, where Korean films are no one genre. There can be four genres happening at the same time. They can be really funny until they're not when they're suddenly very poignant or very pointed making a social message. They could be butting up against horror, they could be butting up against thriller, they could be butting up against satire. Performances can, in the space of a certain scene, go from subtle to big. Not not so much here in Parasite, that's in his other films, we'll come to Snowpiercer perhaps, but Korean cinema is a cinema for me where everything is possible and no film is just one thing. And that's what I think, if, if Parasite is your route into that 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 industry 
there's so much wealth there for you to discover. And I really hope that if, you know, as, as Bong Joon-ho has said, the one-inch-tall barrier of subtitles <laughs> open... You know, I, I'm not going to patronise our listeners, I'm sure. We're, we're, we're all hip to world cinema. But I'm hoping that this film does well. And Me too. And to, th- to then open people up to Korean cinema, to mm. Bong's other films and to other films. Do you think it has a chance at the Oscars, Hannah? Um... You know, I, I I would like to say yes, but I sadly think... I mean, having read the kind of anonymous ballots that, you know, places like Hollywood Reporter do every year, and hearing the same arguments from the people that are at... who are voting for these awards saying that, oh, it was too complicated, oh, I don't like subtitles, oh, I don't think that the foreign movies should be at the Oscars, you really do despair because, you know, we can be presented a work like Parasite, which I think is the one of the absolute best films that came out last year, and an institution like the Oscars, which purports itself as rewarding the, the greatest craft in cinema, will just ignore it because the system is flawed I mean it'll win um, best foreign language film I think it's got that sewn up but I don't think it will win best picture which I think is a really crying shame it's definitely the strongest film in that category but I mean as Bong has said the Oscars are local and um, he doesn't need the Oscars this film's done very well in the States as it is I think it's very easy to forget and to, to decouple all these, these, these multiple arguments here where I don't want the film to win the Oscar because I think that Korean cinema needs that validation. Mm. I, I want people to see this film. Exactly. And I think yeah. may, maybe that that battle has already been won because this film has been talked about seemingly more than any other film nominated yeah. this year. Yeah. And the fact that it's been nominated, even those categories, that it's kind of trespassed the, the cage of the foreign language film nomination mm. already speaks volumes. And it's sort of opening up the possibility of other non-English language films kind of breaking through. You know, it's not the first one to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting that like Antonio Banderas is also nominated for Best Actor for a film that is not an American film for a performance that's not in English either. Um, it's not... It seems to be maybe opening up in scope, mm-hmm. that it's not just kind of established a tours, not that Bong wasn't, but maybe not kind of in the American market just as much as, say, someone like Almodovar was. Mm-hmm. Um that's kind of the the inspiring bit that even if Parasite doesn't win and I completely agree with Hannah that it it really is one of the strongest films out of that bunch if not the strongest one Um, just the fact that it's making that conversation happen the fact that it's nominated and in all those technical categories and also in the best picture category that just means that then maybe those voters that do not mind the one inch of subtitles will open up their eyes to more world cinema when they're casting their ballots next year, in the next years. And I think as well, sorry, just to add, Mm. uh, that increasingly the Academy are trying to diversify their ranks, which is great and essential. And if they want to kind of survive the next 100 years of filmmaking, they absolutely have to do that. And I think um, as they add more uh, younger voters, as they add more uh, voters of colour, as they add more women, people that I think generally, audiences that generally are more open-minded, um and more willing to kind of take a risk on something they might not know about or a piece of cinema for a part of the world that they're not familiar with, then I think we will notice more films like Parasite coming mm. through and hopefully breaking through as as, as the olds die off. Um, and uh, I'll add to that kind of more people who uh, maybe are not necessarily uh, American-born or mm. are multicultural mm-hmm. in some way and just, you know, more open-minded and supportive of world cinema even though I kind of hate that term old cinema as well international cinema cinema. yeah Yeah. Hannah what scores are you going to give Parasite I gave it a 4.55 in my review which I think is definitely I think that's probably been my 
writing out of can and, and ever since really I do think it's one that I can see myself happily revisiting for years to come it's I like you were saying earlier like the the wonder of Korean cinema is the way it kind of balances and juxtaposes different genres and I really do think that this it's it's a like you'll laugh you'll cry like film it's you know there's so much going on but never in a kind of like overwhelming way it's it's so beautifully balanced and well crafted and just an absolute joy from start to finish Anna five across the board <laughs> I think I'd yeah five across the board for me and in particular I'll say I'm going to look forward to seeing whatever Park So Dam does next mm-hmm. she is yes. um, the daughter of of the of the Kim family um, one of her mo- moments has been quite memed a little bit mm-hmm. um, quite memed I mean it's all over the internet but um, I'd say that she has she's so damn cool in, yeah, in that film, I she's a star. She's yeah, she's great. It's like yeah. one of her first roles as well, isn't it? I know. I it's the like... Florence Pugh effect. Yeah. yeah, I feel like she's been all over the kind of American press. You know, the lots of glorious photo shoots. Mm-hmm. It was a wonderful one of her with a chainsaw. I think for yes, um, into your W, someone like that. What was um, it? Wonderland. Wonderland. It was yeah. for Wonderland. Um, and I, yeah, I'm really hoping she kind of explodes after this. So that was Parasite, a true contender for Film of the Year, even though we're only just into February. Listeners, if you see that film or Birds of Prey this week, let us know what you think. At the usual channels, that is at Truth and Movies on Twitter, truthandmovies at tcolondon.com via email, or at the comments section at com slash podcast. Up next, we're sticking with Bong Joon-ho and talking about his English-language debut, Snowpiercer. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Snowpiercer. Still the most expensive Korean film ever made, this mostly English-language debut from director Bong was a smash hit back home, but its international rollout was delayed by one Harvey Weinstein. The film was never actually released in UK cinemas, but has now finally found its way onto streaming platforms. Quick plot recap before we hear a clip, though. Snowpiercer is set in a future where a failed climate change experiment has killed off all life, except for the lucky few who boarded the titular train. Belong to the front. You belong to the tail. 
Know your place. Keep your place. Those bastards in the front think they own us. We'll be different when we get there. What do you say? We take the engine. And we control the world. When is the time? Soon. I love that clip. I love Tilda Swinton in this movie. In fact, we got a tweet from tailored chris on twitter saying tilda swinton's maggie thatcher by way of molly sugden is both terrifying and slimy and is one of her all-time greatest performances it's so great agree hannah those false teeth that wig <laughs> the scene where she's kind of explaining we just heard it in the trailer but the actual scene where she's explaining the kind of the way of, the way of the train is just so good mm-hmm. i mean i i really hope that she works with bong again i think they're they're a great match mm-hmm. i think she really has the kind of chaotic energy that he brings to his films and uh, yeah this is definitely i said earlier this is my intro to bong Mm -hmm. and i don't think i could have picked a better film to come on board the uh the Uh bong train with (laughs) i really think it is a a masterpiece it's a great train movie it's a great class movie it's a great chris evans movie all all the elements are there covered by snowpiercer are you in agreement, Anna? Oh, mate, I absolutely love it. I love a film that's set in one location, especially if that location is moving. <laughs> a bus, a car, a train, <laughs> anything. It's, a, it's another very particular you subgenre. Must, you must really to. like planes, trains and automobiles. <laughs> I really do. I also really like speed. <laughs> um, no, I think, I think I'd seen Memories of Murder before this one, mm-hmm. but this is the first film, probably similar to Hannah, that I realised who Bong was. Mm-hmm. And what a master was at play here. And I love all of the cast. It sort of just operates within this weird multi-genre space where it's both very intense and very dramatic and very kind of heartfelt. And then also very high octane and very campy, especially with Tilda Swinton. Mm -hmm. And then also just this really provocative sci-fi slash horror film Mm -hmm. as well on a moving train. It has a little thread as well of of subversion as well where I, I, some of the negative reviews of this film and this was quite divisive in some quarters don't don't just think that it's relatively straightforward Chris Evans as the blue-eyed white westerner saving you know the, the <laughs> Koreans and Octavia Spencer and etc but um, there's some subversion there of casting Captain America as he was at that time in this role and sort of perverting the uh, the hero's journey in the way that it does in the final act mm. there's, there's, there's that playfulness here with with bong that that shows up in all of his films he's so aware of what he's doing uh, whilst also being such a stylist i think this is for me a contender for the best comic book movie of all time because the comics are nowhere near as good as this the comics are just <laughs> literally post-apocalyptic landscape and there's a train <laughs> He brought so much to this. He he found the comic. It's a French comic. We'd found it in a mm-hmm. Korean bookshop, um, and then thought this would make a good movie if we if I wrote something with this idea. And what an amazing film came of it. I think this would go in the same canon as 1984 in Brazil, and of course 1984 having John Hurt in there. There are so so many mm-hmm. references. It's so meta. It's so aware of playing with this tradition of the dystopian movie, the sci-fi movie, the comic book movie. And, oh, God, it's so fun. What's your favourite part? Is there a specific scene that stands out? Um, kind of late in the movie. Uh, is it late in the movie? I don't know. The Alison Pill scene in the, in the kindergarten with the with the with the eggs. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All freeze and die. Oh, it's so good. Just she's her kind so of like, creepy. You know, she's like teaching these kids this like uh, 
not rhyme, a chant, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, she's wonderfully, wonderfully creepy. This that's the thing. It's a, it's a big ensemble cast of like really great talent. You know, Tilda, John, Ed Harris, Jamie Bell, Octavia Spencer, Luke Pasqualino. There's there's a who's who of kind of well, what what were they? The Norteens talent <laughs> involved in this film, <laughs> um, and everyone is really like much the same in Parasite. You know, kind of pulling their weight and like really fully committing to the bit, shall we say? And that Alison Pill, ch- chief among them, is really like going to town as this kind of creepy kindergarten teacher, and that's definitely my favourite bit of the film. I think that's what he affords to some of his um, American actors, doesn't he? So in, in Okja, your your boy Jake Gyllenhaal <sighs> gives a particularly big role. They performance as well. Oh. I think they revel in being allowed to go off as they say. Yeah, I really think that but one of the great things about Bong is that he has this knack for picking actors that he sees something in and he kind of enables them to turn it up to 11 as it was you know he really encourages them to not hold back in any way shape or form and uh, I think definitely in Oksha Jake Gyllenhaal is a uh, probably a, it's a similar caliber to Tilda's performance in this just totally unhinged and not something I ever think we'd see him or her do in kind of like a classic western film of, of the same uh, genre and having said that I mean I think Jake Gyllenhaal kind of reprised his role on uh, John Mulaney's Sack Lunch Bunch which I'd recommend for more kind of Octa vibes yeah. <laughs> uh, from Jake Gyllenhaal but um, back to Snowpiercer yeah I, I really I, I do think it's it, it's to me strikes the same tone as Parasite in that it's a very in some ways very bleak and very sad film but then there's so many kind of like bizarre hilarious moments in it as well that you're kind of like laughing even though you're like what what the hell <laughs> basically it, it's very shocking and mm-hmm. really economical in its kind of use of violence and like fight choreography and I yeah I mean I really do think if anyone isn't familiar with Bong and really might feel a bit kind of unsure about going to his like Korean films, then this is like the perfect kind of gateway drug if you're if you are adverse to subtitles. But I mean, I would hope that wouldn't stop anyone. We, we should say, even though it's the most expensive Korean film ever made, it's still only forty million dollars. So Snowpiercer was forty million un, un, under half the budget of Birds of Prey. So that's crazy. It's that so economically do it that they're doing. That's, that's what you can get insane. with a mid-budget movie. Mm-hmm. You know, which are dying out basically. Yeah. yeah. I'd say it was such a tragedy that we didn't get to see this on the big screen in the UK. I actually did. Mm-hmm. I, I, swear I went to one of the few big screen uh, showings this film had on these islands at the Edinburgh Film Festival, where it showed when it was still in that will it, won't it come out phase. Mm. And of course, Harvey Weinstein did much worse stuff in his life. <laughs> but That was pretty bad, though. Well, he used to know because it was pretty bad. But the fact that he wanted like a good half hour cut out of this film, mm. it's only two hours long... Uh, ridiculous and what would he have cut is what I want to know mm-hmm. because yeah. I don't think there's any fat on this no because it's like... all like split basically in the sections of the train mm-hmm. like yeah. it's a very straightforward journey that they do through all the different yeah. sections of all the different classes and subclasses of the society that lives on this train Um. so what, if he'd cut something out that would have been like a whole section mm-hmm. maybe we would have lost oh, the Alison Pill scene yeah tragedy I bet, he, I bet that was the stuff it was the eat the rich stuff that he was like mm, maybe not much like you Michael I, I felt very lucky to have seen this on the big screen kind of back at the start of it all mm-hmm. um, I hope I mean there's always lots of talk of getting it 
onto a big screen in the UK. I think the rights have finally been sorted out and maybe it, mm. it, it, it is available for enterprising programmers who want to show it. But now it's on streaming services. That's taken the legs out from under any mm. you know, financial imperative to show but it. just like, I mean, the sight of this huge, great monster of a train cruising through this like Arctic tundra is just... It, and the majestic. sound of it as well yeah. it's so thundering like it makes you feel like you're actually on the train yourself mm. mm-hmm. and everything outside of it is just so threatening just by the sheer noise that this vehicle makes by just you know rushing through these mountains there's so much loaded in the in in both Snowpiercer and Train to Busan actually um about class and about power dynamics mm-hmm. and even like i mean about it may, really makes you appreciate trains in a different <laughs> light i think now no. I'm like, would be very sceptical of taking more than a two-hour train journey. <laughs> <laughs> what well. I love about it as well is kind of the how it shows you myth-building too. Because mm-hmm. mm. a big part of, especially Tilda's character's kind of role in this train society is the creation of the myth of uh, Wilfred, of mm-hmm. Wilford, and how the system should operate in order to make sure that they all stay alive. And it's them kind of believing all of that and internalizing so much that makes it so intense as well like once you it's i think especially on rewatch once you get past kind of all the fantastic action set pieces and all chris evans and all of that once you start digging into what bong is actually exploring in there it's these stories that we tell ourselves or that our leaders tell us in order to maintain the status quo Mm -hmm. and in order to maintain the order of things as it is would we recommend going further down the bong canon where where would you go next after say parasite and snowpiercer Oh God! Anywhere, really. I think that I after after Parasite and Snowpiercer, I'd, I'd probably go back to his um, earlier Korean films. I think I think Okja is maybe I, I love Okja, but I I think I love Okja because of Jake Gyllenhaal and Tilda Swinton in Okja. Um, whereas I think uh, Memories of Murder and uh, The Host are re- mm-hmm. and um, Mother, mm-hmm. uh, but also his debut, which um, I've never seen. Barking Dogs Never Bite. Well, that's yeah, still never been released in the UK, mm, even on Home Man. Uh, a a much smaller film, and he's been very much on record saying that the Korean press hated that film. So, really, <laughs> to many people, Memories of Murder was his first film. Mm. And mm. I, I'd say there are two tracks through his film, through his career. And I think that the host, which is a, a very Spielberg-y Korean monster movie, uh, tracks pretty well into Snowpiercer, and then maybe Okja, which plays in the same satirical vein as Snowpiercer but a bit more outsized um, whereas Memories of Murder Mother Parasite are his mm. more sort of g- grounded uh, mm. social films Memories of Murder being Zodiac before Zodiac is yes. what people, how people <laughs> That's such a perfect comparison. Would you recommend that one, Anna? Yes, 100%. But I completely agree with you as well. You can sort of take two roads after... If Snowpiercer is your first Bong film, then I'd go either Parasite, just go to the cinema, go watch Mm -hmm. it, or go... uh, the host, yeah. Oh, the host is fantastic. Yeah, and also it's it's got both both the Korean actors that are in Snowpiercer are also in the host, which is think, a well, nice what, bit of continuity. What we're saying here is just watch all of his movies, which yeah. is not a bad recommendation to make. <laughs> so it's not that many. It's not no. kind of you know a very intimidating filmography mm-hmm. and very broad as well. I think you know it's not like watching some filmmakers where you're kind of watching the same thing for ten films in a row. It's you know he, he's doing so much with so many genres. He really is. I, this is why I'm fascinated to see what he does after Parasite mm. because I just feel like he could go anywhere now. A Parasite HBO series? Is that what we're oh, talking yeah. about? We're produced by, um, oh, uh, what's his name? The. Uh, I think he's such a trickster so, uh, that 
someone from HBO said, we'd love to do a series with you. And he said, oh, yeah, I've got a notebook with some stuff I didn't use in Parasite. And he's not even given it second thought. He's yeah. off now. And then like, and, and Hollywood Taika Reporter is like, oh, my God, it's going to be him and uh, Adam McKay doing this Parasite miniseries. And I'm like, oh, maybe not, though. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I kind of trust. He's one of those filmmakers that I trust enough that I was like, oh, OK, you want to do that? Yeah, OK, sure. I'm here for it. Mm. Yeah, 100%. If he, also, if he can you please cast Jake Gyllenhaal? <laughs> Work with Jake Gyllenhaal again. Bong, Tilda and, Tilda and Jake. Jake Tilda and Jake Bong Project Challenge. That's, <laughs> that's what we're coming away from. <laughs> there you have it, listeners. Spend the weekend catching up with Bong Joon-ho. You really can't go wrong with any of his films, to be honest. And let us know what you think of any of the films we talked about this week at the usual channels. Next week, we have the video game movie Sonic the Hedgehog. We have a new take on Emma. And for Film Club, we have Super Mario Brothers. Let us know what you think of that. Anna, Hannah, thank you so much for joining me this week. I'm Michael Leader, and as always, this has been a 7 Digital production. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.